Hey folks, it's Blamo. I'm Jeremy Kirkland. We are here. What does that even mean? We are here. Man, I, I am shooting from the hip, as always. Just got back from some trips. You know, being on the road. I was in Nashville. I was throwing serum and sunscreen in my dop kit. Uh, just, just packing that thing. You know, it's it's tough when you're on the road because I got I got to keep up my my skincare thing. You know, I I gotta gotta keep all those flakes from from popping and all the closing those pores, whatever it is. I don't know. What what do you guys call those things? You call them dop kits, toiletry bags. Uh, someone referred to it as a carry-on cosmetic attaché. Who cares? Anyway, uh, <laughs> Lauren Sherman is here this week. She is one of my absolute favorite fashion and style writers. Um, if you're not familiar, she was the chief correspondent of Business of Fashion for nearly, I mean, almost 10 years. It was definitely like seven or eight, but she was there for a long time. And she recently jumped to Puck, Puck News. You should check it out if you haven't heard about it. We'll discuss it in the pod. But she's just, she's just one of my favorite writers ever. She never gets too inside baseball. She knows her writers don't live and breathe fashion the way she does, but she always makes you more interested in the whole world of fashion. She's the best. Um, but she came on the pod this week. We talked moving to LA, how the return to dressing up isn't happening, the importance of critiques, what to do with creativity, the future of Ralph Lauren and Armani. Oh yeah, succession plans. We went in there. And last but not least, joining Puck News. All right, here we go. Lauren Sherman, how are you doing? I'm very well. How are you? Great. This has been a long time coming. I know. You've been we like, were finally able to do it. Yeah, yeah. I, and congrats, by the way, on the new on the new gig. Thank you. I'm so, excited. I mean, yeah, a lot has changed for you, right? Because you're you're a mom now. I am. Post a lot of cute, annoying photos of my kid on Instagram. Yes, um, it, it's funny. You realize what Instagram is actually about when you have kids. You're like, oh, totally. this is what it's more about. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, we had a kid. We moved to LA, had a kid. We moved to LA July 2020. I got pregnant August 2020. Whoa. Had a kid in May 2021. And he's going to be two years old. And so we we live in LA in a house in the suburbs and super fun. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're saying that somewhat uh, hesitantly. No, no, no. It's it's great. I really like it. I guess it's not technically the suburbs. It's just not something that I had ever imagined. I grew up in the suburbs, so it's not something I had imagined for myself, but it's a really nice life. And LA is just, I think for people, I was in New York for 15 years. Where are you based? I'm. It's, I did New the York. exact same thing you did. I was in New York for 16 or some odd years, moved to St. Louis, Missouri in oh, nice. October 2020, back to where my wife and I are originally from. Yeah. And yeah, now I I'm in New York like once a month or so, and it's I don't know I, I'm I'm currently uh, fighting the 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 desire to I don't know to be on the scene and feeling like disconnected at all times. It's it's weird. Yeah, it's L.A. is good because so many New Yorkers live out here. Yep, it's it's a company town, but there are a lot of people in fashion and connected to fashion and just interesting creative people who are here and and it is so true it's still expensive it's still crazy with the housing market but it's different than new york like we live in a 2000 square foot house here with land and up a hill or whatever and <laughs> in in we were living in like a basement apartment in bedsty mm. that was basically the same amount of money you know give or take but it and what i realized i don't know i had just really really wanted to leave and we used 
to spend a lot of time out here and also thought about moving to Paris because that would be good for work. <laughs> um, and my husband, actually, I don't speak any French, but he speaks pretty good French. So like it was, we spent a bunch of time there in 2019. I went for BOF to help onboard a writer and um, they, it, you know, it was just, it was really generous of them. We spent four months there and I wow. think they would have been happy for me to move there. But I don't know. There was just something I was like, I just don't want to live somewhere where I don't speak the language right now. I don't want to be taking immersion courses for, you know, a year. And then I remember there was this article that came out when we, in, I think it was a Wall Street Journal piece when we were there that was was basically about how you will never really speak French the way the French yeah. do and I was like I can't I can't handle that I care so much about nuance and the way people say things and trying to read into stuff it would just drive me totally insane I think we would we would do it for like a year but not a permanent move and when the pandemic happened it just I'm sure the same thing happened with you and your wife we were just like this is insane that we live like this <laughs> <laughs> and it stresses me out. Yeah. And now we now we go three times. I, I probably went five last year. And some okay. of those trips were like my new thing is going on the 5.30 a.m. JetBlue <gasps> on Mondays. And you get in at like before two. And then coming back on the 6 a.m. or 6.30 on Fridays and you get in before nine. So you're really not gone that long. But you're it's the most efficient. Like you're I, I really hate wasting time and I can't but I'm too old to do a um, <laughs> red eye from LA. It's too short, but that's that's my new thing. But I I've done a couple of those really quick trips. Like once I went in on a Tuesday and came back on a Thursday. That's that type of thing. But yeah. what we've been doing with our kid is two t two to three times a year doing like two weeks and doing house swaps and just basically seeing every single person that I need to see and just like the thing is though the the amount of FaceTime you get with people it's the same amount as if we lived there, right? I'm more productive not living in New York when I'm in New York yeah. than when I used to. Totally. Like we would probably see those people every six months or once a year anyway. And so it's <laughs> been it's been good so far. I've only been to Europe a couple times. I think this year I'll probably go to Europe a bit more. But I think the for me, there's a lot of culture here. There's I'm very interested in the entertainment business and how that operates. Yeah. And it's it's interesting to compare it culturally to what's happening in fashion and all the consolidation in both of those industries. And then also, I don't know, my my kid has a really he he's outside every single day. He takes all these classes. He has an amazing group of friends. His friends' moms are really cool and interesting. And um, it's nice that he can. It's just a nice place to raise a kid, I think. And who knows? But I have no desire to move back to New York. If I wasn't able to go there three, four, five times a year, I think it would be harder. But because yeah. it's it's such an imperative for no matter both my husband and me, it it is so far. It's been really really nice to come back. Back here, the twelve-hour mm. flight from Europe is not nice. Is it twelve hours? Really, it's nine on the way there, but on the, I don't I don't understand how it can be that big of a difference. But on the way back, it's closer to twelve, and it's fine. I, we were with him, and he was actually okay on it. He would on the way there, he slept the whole time. Yeah, which was nice for him. But honestly, it was fine for us too. On the way back, he didn't want to sleep, and he's we don't do screens at home, but we let him on on the plane because like what are, what are you going to do with a yeah. two-year-old for 12 hours yeah. but he would like only he only napped in my husband's arms and so he was up the whole time and so oh, that man. was a lot but even for for me i did it last i went to 
Milan last year for work. And it's just, it's just like, it's like going to Tokyo. Yeah. You know, so it's that part of it is a little bit weird, but generally it does. I, I can't imagine now reintegrating into that lifestyle. It's just so, I love it when I'm there, but I honestly feel like I'm on drugs because it's just so much adrenaline and you're just like, get up at 530 and you stay up till 1130 and you don't stop the whole time. And yeah, I don't, it was just hard on my system. Yeah. Do you find that? Yeah. I'm, I'm curious about this because I, I wouldn't argue that you're probably one of the most grounded and informed fashion writers out there yeah. because it's not, it's not that high of a bar. No, well, well, no, I think it is because, you know, what we're, you know, as you were saying earlier, like you had mentioned how fashion's kind of consolidating more across, like all these industries are just kind of melting together yeah. to where, you know, more and more, you know, Jerry Lorenzo's doing his big fear of God show in LA. Like all these people are, are becoming a little bit more involved in the Hollywood scene. Yeah. But you've had this other thing happen in your life personally where you've become a mom, which is I, you know, as someone who now has two kids, um, it's, Congrats. it's, thank you. It's crazy what it's done to my mental priorities and how that's affected my professional life. Um, I'm curious, have you, you know, adjusted how you have your relationship to the world of fashion from having a kid? Yeah, well, I think moving to L.A. has also shifted it. Yeah. Really quickly on that, one thing that I didn't go to the shows this past season because I wasn't working. Sure. And I'm not a person who's going to just go. I don't I don't <laughs> understand that. It's like, I love it. It's super fun. I'm not going to say it's not fun to go to them, but I'm not going to just sit there and be like, I'm just here to, to be here. It just seems crazy to me. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. one thing I noticed about the shows, a lot of the reporting that came back was like this return to dressing up. And I think it's true in a way. And I think people are buying things that they might be buying a piece or stuff to wear to fancy events or day to day, at least in the U.S. And I... I think this is true in Western Europe as well, but maybe less so. But like the casualization of our culture is not going away. People mm. are going to wear leggings everywhere. I mean, you, you, I'm sure see this where you live now. Like people do not, they barely wear jeans. Oh yeah. It's <laughs> like Under Armour and Lululemon like exactly. 99% of the time. Like we went to the San Diego Zoo on some public holiday and we drove down the day before. We stopped in some super affluent it wasn't la jolla but like a really affluent area near near san diego and we stopped at this development and we were sitting there eating at this weird restaurant that had on the door of the restaurant had a poop emoji okay which i was just like sure it's, it's like too much even for me <laughs> and but i was just looking at everyone and i tried there were probably two or three people wearing jeans right and i can't remember i think that trying to think of what Dan and I were wearing but we I think we were wearing jeans or like a little more dressed up and it just makes you it, the reality is that people do not even really rich people they do not get dressed up every single day and they might still yeah. buy stuff they might buy like sequin dresses or high heels or whatever but like day to day that is not how people are dressing and I think that that because you can get really used to being in New York or in in London and Paris, even more so, just being there. Everybody just looks nice all the time. They they yeah. make an effort, and I mean, it's what what is nice, and you can look really nice in sweats sure. as well. But um, I I think it's just I like I met with an editor who I'm working on a project with in London, and he had on I think he had on a tie. He had on like a very formal outfit. He looked great, but it's just 
it it would never happen in anywhere outside of New York, really, in in the yeah. states. Um, but but back to the mom stuff. Yeah, I mean, how has it changed my perspective? I am a very, I'm a pretty efficient worker. So that part of it, I didn't like suddenly get more efficient, but I had a lot of time off. I think the thing that was so BOF, it was very, very generous and they extended their UK policy to US employees. And they also, it was based on, I don't know if they do it like this anymore, but it was based on seniority. So, Mm. or tenure. So um, I had been there for a really long time. So I got the most possible time, which I think was like 24 weeks plus he was almost three weeks early. And instead of chipping that away from my time they granted that as medical leave it was amazing like it was so it was really good company to work for and a huge you know i was hard to leave for many reasons but that was one of them they have just they were just so good about that kind of stuff um but i took it all and the funny thing was because fritz was a few weeks early i called my editor like a week after he was born and i was still high from birth and <laughs> yeah. all that stuff and sure. I was like, I need to finish this story, that story and two other stories. I'm going to have all this time. I'm going to be so bored. I, I got to finish them. And he was like, just let me know. He's like, <laughs> we're not asking you to do this. And I was like, no, I'm going to put it in writing. I don't care. Oh, and boy. then <laughs> like, I don't know, a month and a half into it, I e- messaged him. I was like, dude, I can't do anything. This is in, like to- taking up all my brain space. But I think the thing that it, I was very surprised by how intellectually stimulating I found it, like oh. parenting. And I felt very satisfied. Like it took, I'd say it was a year and when I was when I went back I was ready it wasn't that I wasn't ready like I had a bunch of stories I was excited excited to get back in the life we live now you know we have an amazing nanny I work from home okay so you did the nanny thing yeah I mean yeah I wasn't we were gonna do daycare or nanny share but we don't have any family here and Mm -hmm. um when after we had a night nurse that we had her for three nights a week for eight weeks instead of doing like two weeks we did three nights a week and it would be like every other night that way we learned how to do it but then also dan could sleep through the night on the nights that she was there because she would come in and like help with the breastfeeding stuff and she was there for eight weeks she basically sleep trained him he's a really good sleeper it was amazing um but when she was leaving, my in-laws were also leaving, and I just realized, oh my god! And Dan was not getting enough work done. He didn't really take any paternity leave, and so he wasn't Same. getting yeah. any work done. And he was stressed out. We were just there's this picture of all this family photo on Facebook, and Fritz must have been like I don't know three weeks old or so or four weeks old. And Dan and I just look so nuts in the photo. <laughs> But I don't remember feeling that crazy, but we looked completely insane. And um, I was just panicking. And a friend of mine had recommended, she said, if you can get someone to come and help two days a week when you're on mat leave, do it. Yeah. Because I was getting paid in full. I mean, it's great to save that money, but it's still, it, you can shower, you can exercise, you can run errands. And we found this woman through our night nurse, who a friend of our night nurse, and she came in, she needed work for Tuesdays and Thursdays, but was looking for something full time. And we just like told Totally fell in love with her. And she's mm. just, I can't explain. I, it, we went from like, we're going to do daycare. We're going to try nanny sh- or two. We, how can we keep this person in our lives forever? Like, she's just been so transformative from 
um, our son loves her and, and they have an incredible relationship and she's taught him so much. She's such a good educator and, and he's just thrived with her, but also like we love her. And, and, um, the other thing I realized, I always thought it was like a little crazy that rich people would have a nanny and not work. (laughs) Like, and now (laughs) I realize that's totally, totally possible. Like you can have that that help and have a primary caregiver helping but also just have so much more work and still be super involved in the kid's life like it's just so so much work but we were really lucky in that way and so the transition back to work was actually pretty easy because we were used to her she had been with us for i don't know six months already or not six five months she came like when he was like two months old so she had been with us two days a week five months and then um, so that part, there was like no adjusting in that way. He was already really comfortable with her. And then also, especially we mo- we've moved houses since, but at our old place, like I worked from our o- home office all the time. So when they would get back for the afternoon nap, he would come in and say hi to me. Um, mm. I would say as he's gotten older and more communicative and like we have more of a like intellectual relationship, that's harder. Um, like even right now, he hasn't done it yet, but he'll probably run up and be like, mama, mama, mama. And so that has gotten harder. But I I would say that so I I work not from home as much as I used to, which I used to be like a very work from home person. But I I think that my priorities have changed in that I don't really work on the weekends where I used to kind of save a little bit of work Mm. for the weekends. Um, I don't really do that. And I I think like I I basically start I get up really, really early and work more of an eight to four day which is more of an LA thing anyway. And then I'm- Oh yeah, because of West Coast? Yeah. Or, or East Coast, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I was I was reporting to someone in London. So I- Oh, jeez. There was, and also there was like a daily call, which I skipped a lot. Sorry to anyone from BOF that's <laughs> listening to this. But it was at 7 a.m. for me, which was fine. <sighs> like I get up, today I got up at 5.30 and went to the Rose Bowl and, and ran. But like, I like being early, I'm early riser, all that stuff. But- now, like the four to six time period or four to seven, a lot of that time I get to spend with him. So it's just about I in the past, I would have just and sometimes I still do this, but like I would have just I would have still been on an eight to four. But then I would have been like out and meeting up with people from four to seven or four to ten or whatever. And yeah. I'm just like I've slowed down in in prioritize like tomorrow I'm supposed to do a couple things after work with people that I do need to see but I just decided like I'm doing revisions on the book Chantal and I are doing and I'm starting full time at at puck next week and so i was like you know what i'm just gonna tell these people that i can't do it and i'm gonna hang out at home with him and that in the past like would it be better for me not only because you know one of them is a friend but also we're going to something that's work related i should go but it's not the end of the world either so it is just a little bit more before i used to really push myself to do stuff that was probably unnecessary and now i'm i have like a little more clarity into what is worth it and what's not I guess yeah I mean it sounds like you just said it there like it's not the end of the world like I had a you know I think uh, Avery Truffleman and I discussed this to where like I didn't realize this but people messaged me after our pod because I, I had like a freak out in the sense that in at least in my previous life living in New York whatever we want to call it I was so caught up and just the scene at all times 
I didn't recognize how I became so insulated from the world that I was trying to communicate with and interact with. And I think that's that's the thing that I'm always the most interested in, which is one of the reasons why I love your writing, is like I think a lot of times people that write about fashion don't understand that the 99% of the people that read them do not live in the world the way they do. Yeah. And I think having having a kid or any sort of life change, I want to be clear, not to to single out just parents. But like it's caused me to totally, you know, reorganize my priorities, but also understand how in some cases the thing that was my the center of my universe totally shifted and became something else. And then that then informed how I looked at my career, my professionalism. And, you know, I would get invited to whatever some party or some show and I'd be like, well, I don't really live in New York anymore. And in my head, I was like, it's over. My career's over. Everything's fucked. It's never going to happen. And then I was like, you know what? Like, it's not the end of the world. Like there's, I still have this relationship with my kid. It's actually changed how I've been able to have empathy to others. And in a weird way, especially now in fashion where it feels like, you know, we want this sort of harmonious love relationship with the world while creating a product that more or less destroys the planet. Um, it's it's really made me um, warmer and, and and actually more excited about the industry. I want to be very clear. It's not like, oh, well, I detest this now because I feel like I'm on a higher level of enlightenment to where it's just like, no, 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 like this means so much. And, and, and I, in many ways, um, and I'm not projecting, I want to be clear, but like in many ways, I felt like I was like, oh, like I totally wrote off the Midwest and all these other markets and all these brands too, that I looked at that. I was like, these are hundred million, $200 million brands that are changing everything. You know, I mean, I still, I'll say this on my side, like I still think Under Armour is like a trash brand. I, I don't like it. I don't really get it. But it still moves the needle for so many people. <laughs> totally. I I think about like Aloe Yoga. I don't think that's a trash brand, but it's I'm not the customer. Yes. And, yeah, but yeah, I'm obsessed you. with that brand. Like it's a, if you go, we I think it was on my flight over to Europe or it was on another flight. And like all that dude had a aloe yoga hat on i was like why would really? you wear an aloe yoga hat it doesn't even say anything it just says aloe and and it's interesting because <laughs> i you think, knew yeah then this product is good i think the product is good it's just aesthetically not my thing sure. and i think yeah i actually still think there's a big void left by like to the first two years of outdoor outdoor vo- voices were was so good and like Right? So, and it could have been really good, but you know, that a lot of stuff happened that it didn't, didn't work out. But I think there's like, there is still room in the market, especially in women's for something a little bit different. Like I like Tracksmith, but it's so preppy. It's just not for me. Um, it is. Yeah. And I honestly just wear Lululemon now, which is performance. Lululemon is good. I, yeah. I People kind of like shit on it because it's so big, yeah. but I still think Lululemon is some of the best stuff. Yeah. It really it's is. the performance was, it's good. But yeah, I think, yeah, I agree. I, I think. The, for me, I try, it's really hard not to get caught up. And I love clothes. I spend a lot of money on my clothes. Like it's, it's not normal, especially like the ratio to income. It's not good. <laughs> um, and I can be like, I try not to be, I, I remember there I was with another, a few journalists walking from one show to another. And we were going to the show that I'm not going to say the name of it because okay. I don't want to shit on this guy, but he's not a good designer. And and okay. I think people like him because he seems sweet and the clothes are not even pretty. 
Like, it's just, it's not good. And she basically, this other journalist was basically like, you're a fucking snob. And my friend and I were like, no, it's not good. And it isn't. And just because like this person's a nice person and and you want to support nice people who, you know, you can't like fundamentally these clothes are not good. And also from my perspective, which I'm what I'm looking at the shows is like, what kind of business is this? This is not a business. It's like this. These are like I, I, I wish I could say what it is, but it's just too mean. Like, I'm not going to punch down. Um, But I think like. You can get really caught up in like I I buy a lot of the row like that's fucking wow. ridiculous uh, mostly wow. on sale but you know <laughs> like I'm the, the the idea that like but I also feel like I could go to like I've gone to their shows and not and said they like been like this wasn't a perfect collection and here's why just because I buy mm-hmm. it um and I, I try not to be a snob I just like good brands. And it's like, what is a good brand? And, you know, Target is a really good brand. It's a great brand. My friend came yesterday. I had like some kids over Target the store or the clothing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I agree. Like it's a good brand. And I, my friend came over yesterday. I had like some kids over to play in the morning and she brought coffee. Cause like we only have AeroPress and and a shitty espresso maker, so I'm not doing that for all those people that are coming. <laughs> and she was like, "I'm really sorry, it's Dunkin' Donuts." Because she Dunkin' thought, Donuts is great coffee. It's a, it, also, I don't. I'm not going to drink it. And also, it's really? a great brand. Sorry. I was like, I'm. I happy wanted matches from Maru. Like where? Yeah, no, exactly. I wonder if they have box coffee at Maru. They should. But um, it, it was just funny because she assumed that I would be like, yeah. Ugh. and I was like, no, I this I, if I was gonna pick between Starbucks box coffee and Dunkin Donuts I would pick Dunkin Donuts aesthetically um but Agreed. but yeah I think that like the, it, it it's very easy to get caught up in all that stuff especially during fashion week yeah and and like oh this show that show then you feel lonely because um like I had a friend who went by herself and she she um quit her job at a big publication about a year ago and it was the first time she was going back and she had a great time for most of it but she texted us and like we we're on a little text chain and she said oh it's just been it's been really hard today and there are like those times you go to fashion week and you're just so lonely and cuz I've always sort of been on my own like BOF's a small team and yeah. um th- there at least I had a couple people but most of the places I've worked I've been like I'd be the only one going and you kind of get sat in random seats and things like that but um it's really hard it's really easy to get super caught up in it and think well if i'm not there do i even exist <laughs> and <laughs> what the re- the reality of that is i mean for me and i think and definitely for you too is as long as you're like doing you're working and you're putting stuff out into the world like that's yeah. your existence and and also i think being on the internet i mean so much so many people just live on the internet now. Yeah. They like live it's in good the and internet. It's bad. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it, I think the first, I also think it's good that I went on mat leave and I, and also there was like COVID made it that you didn't feel like, oh man, I can't believe I wasn't at fashion week. Like I need to go to fashion week because I need to go there for reporting. That's where everyone is. And you have five lunches with people and you know way more stuff. And also seeing those clothes in person, not all the time, but when I went to Milan last, last fall and I got to see the Bottega show. And honestly, I thought the first show was good, but seeing those clothes in particular in person, they're very, very dynamic and dimensional. And it's about the texture and the way they move. You, you can't appreciate them unless you see it in person. 
person. And let me reframe my ideas about that collection and that collection's like role in the rest of the fashion ecosystem and stuff like that. But yeah, I think a big thing that I tried to do at BOF was cover a lot of the sort of emerging brands that were coming out of the U.S. that are not like fashion brands, but they were influencing luxury and or the middle market or whatever in the way that they did business and or even like a Glossier, which, Mm. you know, I think that Glossier was hugely influential to the fashion world. So, um, yeah, I think the biggest thing is you have to remember it does the... I definitely love clothes and I love high fashion and I appreciate it and I want to know more about it and keep learning more and more and more and read reading as many books as I can. But I do think the way like people who don't work in the industry interact with it every day is far more interesting and how they just feel about it. Like the people that I've met out here who work in entertainment, it is not a priority for them. But mm. and and you can What is the priority? In terms of spending money, a lot of vacations and like oh. really fancy vacations. I wouldn't um, have guessed that, honestly. And and interiors and home and just like putting your money into your home. Whereas like we want to do that, but I still want to buy the high sport pants or whatever. <laughs> like Oh, yeah. Trust me, my wife and I have the same conversation all the time where I'm like, oh, I want to order this or this. And she's like, yeah, we need to get our bathroom redone. Yes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's like, well, it's so expensive to redo the kitchen. Let's just keep spending until we like somehow get this money just appears. But um, yeah, but yeah, I think it's also it's just not the thing is that that's interesting to me to about people who work outside of fashion or or live outside of those worlds like art or whatever that that it does matter how you dress um by deprioritizing your clothing that's a statement as well and probably takes as much effort in some ways as like putting together a capsule wardrobe or or whatever oh wow yeah um that's a really good point i have a friend who i made here through is Mom friend, but we had we ended up having a bunch of mutual friends, also Brooklyn transplants. They're really great. And she works in advertising, which is another industry where people like dress pretty interestingly. We just went to a big like Wyden Kennedy wedding in Portland. It was all ad <laughs> people and they were dressed cool. Like there was a lot of interesting stuff, but she was, you know, she has, she's like a partner in an agency. She does a really big job and she's like moving to LA. It's really confusing. And then on top of that, she's a new mom and, and it's just, she doesn't know what to wear. And we ended up, I never do stuff like this because I'm not like a stylist or whatever, but she, and I've been, we ended up, so she, at first, I like gifted her a bunch of subscriptions to shopping newsletters. And then she oh, like nice. sent me, I don't know, 50 things on the real reel. And she was like, what should I buy? And the interesting thing is, and we went through and she got a bunch of great stuff. She has great style and it was really fun. But like I was saying to her, I'm like, if you knew how much money I spent on clothes, you would be appalled just because... <laughs> And this is a person like she can definitely afford it, but it's just not a priority. And she's more, I'd say, more interested in fashion than most of the people. Like a lot of people here wear like T-shirts from the shows they're working on. Like we noticed <laughs> it a lot at the at the playground. Like there's yeah, one a lot of production swag. Yes, there's one playground in Mount Washington. We live near there that is like very runway show. It's like being in Greenpoint or something. Like oh, wow. everybody's wearing like Rachel Comey pants and the guys are wearing Basquiat Converse sneakers and 
There's MoMA water bottles. All the kids are in all the fancy mini Rodini and Bobo Shows and all the fancy kids clothes. And that one is like, oh, this is interesting. Like you can see a bunch of stuff. But even if you go to the Silver Lake Playground, these people, th- th- there's just like literally no attention paid to it. And it's, yeah. and it, so it does. And, and yet other ones want to engage. It, it does. I think remembering that and r- remembering that like people have to buy, they don't have to buy clothes. Like everybody has enough in their closet, but we're an economy based on consumption and they're going to continue to be driven to buy clothing. But just remembering that like the way people interact with clothes is different. And also it's like a psychological mindfuck for many people, not only because like, what if your jeans don't button like the physicality of it, but also it just says so much, it can like communicate so much of who you are. And I think a lot of people out here have tried to make it not matter so that mm. people see other things. Whereas in in New York and not just in fashion, but in media and even to an extent in finance and things like that, like you can, you know, you can do a lot with what you wear to communicate what you're thinking. And it's, it's, um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that like, I always tried, I also, I always tried to kind of remember the way that I interact with clothes is not the way most people do and try to put that in my writing and, and yeah. try to remember that like, also Dan being mostly a tech reporter and being involved in that world and seeing like how people, how VCs dress and like how tech people with money dress was interesting. And also I think going even further back, like I grew up working class. My parents were super into fashion. They were, they met. Where'd at, you grow up? I grew up in Pittsburgh. Okay. And my my parents met in Columbus and they were both buyers at this denim store called um, Levitation. This is like Ooh, 1980 or great whatever. name. Um, or maybe like 1978 or something like that, because I was born mm-hmm. in 82. But they were like, you didn't, every store had buyers then. So you didn't, I, people did programs, but most people didn't go to college for it or whatever. And they met there and they were both like very into fashion. Like my dad has, he remembers buying my mom. It's like $400 Bill Blast coat in, in like 1982. They were, these people did not have four. Can you imagine how much money that is now? It's so crazy. Wow. But they were really, like, I remember my mom loved Halston. She loved Calvin Klein. And we had like Calvin Klein sheets from Marshalls and they were really into brands and into fashion. But like I also grew up with like not money. So it was it's interesting because I saw how like just normal people interact with it or don't. And so moving to New York and also going to college to a private school in Boston, like it, you, I quickly learned that like, oh, upper middle class and upper class people interact with the stuff differently than me. And so as I like basically only interact with people from those classes now, or, or mostly I always tried to remember that like, okay, this is not the way the people my mom knows are interacting with it. And, but it's, and yet they, their contribution to the business of it is still pretty big. Absolutely. I think that's, that's always the thing. And even like I, I've talked to other designers um, in the past and and they've, you know, I've been like, oh man, I'm so excited about this and this. And they were like, actually, we're really focused on trying to make these specific products that everyone buys like yeah. more affordable because this is what pays for all, everything else. Totally. And I remember like my, my head exploded because I was so focused on this coat and he's like, I think we're going to make four of those yeah. if that. Yeah. And they, I was just like, what? Yeah, you got to make the margin drivers. <laughs> What's the other thing they call them? They have some funny name for them. Uh, you could call them margin oh. drivers. But yeah, it's like the, the cheaper stuff and make more of it. 
That's the promise yeah. of fashion. If the cheaper you can make it, the more you make, the more money you're going to make. But like most of them never get to that point. But, but yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I mean, I I was so obsessed when I was younger because I, I came up similar background, you know, didn't have a lot, at least for myself. I recognized that like what I wore, I was able to change how people thought of me. Yeah. And then I also was like, oh, I can work. You know, I had a snow shoveling business and dumb things as like a kid. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I can I can buy these things that I've always wanted. And then I can be these people that I want to be. And then at one point I was around some of those people and they were like, man, you're the one with the nice clothes. And I was like, <laughs> and, and it kind of like messed me up. That I was like, oh, I was so focused on this. I actually became, you know, more obsessed with just the, the accumulation or trying to set myself apart. And I mean, only maybe the past five or 10 years have I kind of come to terms with all that. And, but um, it's, it's definitely, it's been interesting. But one of the things that I wanted to mention that you had, uh, you know, just kind of uh, spoken in passing is how you've, you'll talk about brands and you will critique brands. Yes. And you will call out things that need to be improved. And I think, you know, I talk about this with John Caramonica a lot from the Times in which that I love him. Critics. Uh, he's, he's just he's the, the best. best. He's such he a good writer. He's my phone a friend on a bad day at all times, too. I'm like, dude, this is going on. And he's I love that I, man so much. I met him at a party a couple of months ago and I was like, you're just you're the best. I, I honestly think he's the best fashion writer at The New York Times. And I love Vanessa and Jessica and they're all really great. But he is doing something different. He's just He's super talented. Well, you guys have that overlap too. And, and I think, and this is no shots to any of them, to where people recognize that the world of fashion is actually their entire world. And it's it's how they're, you know, it's how they're looking at things that, that can make something fashionable or not, right? But yeah. with um, one of the things that, you know, I've, I've noticed a lot too is I think you have these new sort of critics or that really nothing is bad. Yeah. And it makes me curious. I mean, Chris Gibbs, I've talked uh, to him about this from Union and where he's like, no, 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 people will come and, and they want me to carry their brand. And he's like, I can't, it's not good. Yeah. And he's like, and they're shocked because no one told them that it wasn't good before. Yeah. And he's like, we have to be not, it's not that you shit on things, but we have to be critiquing things to improve everything. And I think we're in this world now too, where sometimes we want to be so focused on being nice or Ted lassoing everything Ugh. that yeah. there's not. I hate that show. Same. There's not really, <laughs> there's not so really annoying. any improvement. Yeah. yeah. I, and so it's like, well, how do you make things better? <laughs> yeah. I think it, one thing that was really nice about BOF is Imran coming from, he started it. He was a business and consultant. He worked at McKinsey, which is, yeah, I yeah. mean, there are good. <laughs> The good thing about that is he was paid to tell people why they were shitty for many years. So transferring that into journalism, like he's very buttoned up and careful, but he mm -hmm. also knows that it's his response. He feels that it's his responsibility. And that is like, I don't think I'm not like, I hate sounding like I'm on my high horse about being a truth seeker or whatever, but I just, it's like, why would I not say what I think about this? Like, what is going to mm -hmm. happen to me? If you work at a magazine, it's harder because they are so reliant on advertising. And those advertisers are crazy. I remember I worked at Lucky for like a year and a half, which was really interesting because it just, which was lucky. I don't, if people aren't familiar, it was a, sh a magazine about shopping. It was like a cat catalog. It's a great mag. So good. Like the copywriting was amazing. I was not right for it. Like I like the thing I like to do is reporting and there, but I, I was the editor of their website. And I remember we posted something about, there's some like crazy, I want to say it was Dolce & Gabbana skirt. And it was like $13,000 that I 
probably Kim Kardashian wore. So this would would have been like 2011. Or maybe, no, it wasn't Kim Kardashian. It was someone on the cover of Lucky. And I had someone do a post about like, here's to essentially get the look for less. Oh, yeah. And I remember the editor called and was like, you have to pull that right now. They're going to freak out. It was something like that. But I just remember being like, this is literally, if you look at Vogue from 10 years ago, they used to do this all the time. They had full pages. I have the Vogue from, I think it's 1999 or 2000 with Gwyneth Paltrow on the cover. And there's this like super bitchy um, profile by Andre Leontali. I highly recommend it. It's so bitchy. I was like, A, I can't believe this was published. But if you go to the back of the book, there are like, get the look for less pieces. And you can't even do that anymore. They've just become, because the advertising revenue continued to shrink what they have left of it, they're just so careful. Yeah. But I've been lucky throughout where I've worked, like it's just not really been an issue. There are still, you have to maintain relationships and going to shows is important. If I, if I get banned from every single show, it's not helpful to me. Like it is, it is good for me to go to shows, but like, I've just never understood it, the, the, especially with runway reviews, not many people read them. <laughs> like <laughs> I've seen the traffic at a lot of different publications. Like no sure. one, you, maybe on, on Vogue runway, like the actual Chanel show is getting a lot of clicks, but like no one's readings. You know who reads them? The publicist, maybe the designer, maybe the CEO and like 10 other people. It's more than that, but you know what I mean? Like it's not yes. like Tim Blanks, who's the chief critic at BOF, like a core group of people who are really important read his reviews and and that makes them super valuable. But generally, like the you're essentially writing them to give people feedback. So why would mm-hmm. you like sometimes I'm like, "Oh, I hated it again. I don't want to be mean um... again." But and it's not being mean, but like, I don't want to call them out again, because it's like, I've already, like I said, punching down sometimes, and especially in New York, where where it's not only the talent isn't as strong. It's not about the talent. It's about the like access to, to other talent, like good factories and good people under them. They just don't have the same. You can't really compare like a Proenza schooler show to a Dior show. It's just not fair. So it's like, I need to put it in context of are they performing to the height of their ability from a talent and creativity perspective and also find creating something that's desirable, which I think generally designers think less and less about that and are thinking more about just how they're presenting things and not about what is what is this going to ignite in a person who is going to buy it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I just I feel like as much as I have a lot of insider access simply because I've been doing this for so long and I'm not a rude person and I don't call people yelling at them if they don't give me the exclusive or whatever. Like, it, <laughs> I cannot believe people do that. It's like, do the work yourself and get the exclusive without the help of the publicists. That is, that's my advice Bars. to young journalists. But, um, <laughs> but it, like, I think because I don't see myself as an insider, I'm not like worried about, like, of course I care what people think about me, but I really try not to. Like I make a concerted effort not to let that affect how I write. And I just write what I see and write what I know. I'm not like a fancy, super talented writer. I'm just like straightforward. And so 
the thing that has I've realized very early on, well, the way I'm going to distinguish myself is just like writing honestly and clearly. And that will help me somehow. And and I can, as long as I become a good reporter, I can be a reporter on, I can write about anything. It's just happened that like, I've been able to keep doing, doing this. I think a huge reason is there just aren't that many people doing it. But, but yeah, it's not, it can be stressful. Like I've had CEOs call me after shows yelling at me. I think with, with big stories, mostly I, I really fact check a lot. And so people kind of know what's going to happen. I don't like to do a gotcha story where they're not, they're going to be like, I didn't know you were going to say that. Like, I'm pretty open, like this is going to be the tone of the story. And so I didn't, I, especially the older I've gotten, the more, more um, experience I have with that stuff. I know how to communicate, like, this is what to expect. So they're not like, fuck you, you're ruining us. But yeah, I mean, it, it it's a little more stress. I think people just like, it's stressful. Like people, I have to deal with it. Well, the truth isn't easy. And I no, think like yeah. a lot of people really wrestle with that. Like there's, I reached out to a designer ahead of time and told him I was talking with you. Mm-hmm. And they said that you've critiqued them before. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, like, I, I I don't have the quote in front of me because it, he wrote like a page. Oh my God. But he was just, but basically the summary was that um, a lot of people have critiqued him in the past, yeah. but only when you deliver it has he been the most excited about improving on oh, the critiques. That's so versus nice. like some things are very empty and yours was actionable and he said helped improve him oh, as wow. a designer. That's so nice. So well but like and that to me is like the the point of this where it's like we we need that. And we you know we can't like the amount of times I've been to a show and I've been with folks at X magazine or Y magazine. Yeah. And they were texting me jokes about the brand during the show. And by the way, everyone that was there would have been making texts about this. This was not even, but then when they, you know, walked out there, you know, and other people were talking to them like, oh, it's brilliant. Of course, this person's done it again. And I'm like, no, this industry's never going to get better unless we can say that, you know, this brand needs to improve or it's it, so it, that stuff just blows my mind. Yeah. It especially is shocking when they post about it on social media and you're like, you really like that? Just don't post about it. If you want to be, if you're like an editor in chief, there's one editor in chief in particular who does this, who has like extremely good taste and they post these things from shows and it's like, I know you don't like that. Just don't (laughs) post about it. Like, and it, yeah. Or it's because it's their friend. It's not because it's an advertiser and it's like, like, I just think it's why the magazines aren't good because there's no point of view. There's no sizzle or excitement because people are just like, they're trying to find the good in everything. Whereas like most of the shows are bad. Like, yeah, like they're not they're not good. And it's it, sometimes it's sad. And sometimes but then I mean, I think in New York, what happens to me is sometimes I'll be like, I'll get so excited if a show is like pretty good because everything is so bad. <laughs> and then you go to Europe and you're like, oh, oh, that wasn't even that good. It's just that everything there is so bad that it looked it's all so relative. But I do yeah. think I don't und- I just don't get like, what's the point of being an editor and being a journalist or or even a writer or whatever i get like if you're a, a celebrity stylist sure 
Like, don't say anything negative. Also, what what they're looking for is different than what a magazine editor should be looking for. Like, what is going to look great on... Mm-hmm. Like, if you think about that Tom Ford show, that was so, I didn't write anything super negative about it, but it was so goofy. That last show he did, and there was... I think he played, the, played this song that was basically... It was before he did this deal with Estee Lauder, and it was basically like, all good things must come to an end. It was some old song. And that show was not good. It was very... Very stale. But if you if you were a celebrity stylist, I'm sure there was a bunch of great stuff in there. Because if it's going to look good on someone's body and and it, good on the red carpet, that's I think that their like needs are different. But when you're trying to create like a magazine, should be it, it should give you a sense of something and like inspire you to think about clothes. And I think most of them now just don't. Even the ones that have pretty good editorials, like. It never fits. It's not super exciting. Like a good example of one that is still is the gentlewoman, like that Greta Gerwig cover. I know it's not for everybody. And that's the point. Like it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be for everyone, but that Greta Gerwig cover, she looked fucking fantastic. And it's just her head and a blazer and a a t-shirt and it's in black and white. But like that is inspiring to me. And like the color of the cover is the perfect purple that I'm obsessed with right now. Like that got me excited to buy it. There is very little of that anymore. And 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 especially because the stuff in that magazine is really good too. Um, I don't. Did you read that ID article with Raph and Matu and Peter from Alaya? I don't know if that's how you actually pronounce his first name, but I can't pronounce anything. So uh, I have it saved. I haven't finished it. It's so good. And Osman okay. used to work at BOF. He's the features director there, and he's great. But I'm sure a lot was left on the cutting room floor. Like these are guys who have been working together for 25 years, and two of them are in a relationship. Like it. It, I'm sure there was a lot, but it was so fantastic and so exciting and so inspiring. And there's just not a lot of that anymore. And there used to be more. Yeah. Yeah. It's that stuff. I think there's also, you know, and I'm not getting political at all, but like, I think how we view our relationships with designers now is completely immersed in the sense that like, look at like early Dior, no one really cared about other stuff that was going on with that person's life for better and for worse. It was just you make clothes, we like the clothes, we're inspired by the clothes, move on. And now it's like, well, it's good and it's bad, right? Because in some ways, it does allow for new connections to a designer where someone's like, oh, I really resonate because you like this band or this art or whatever. And so that can create an entry point, but it also makes everything under the microscope. And so people are so concerned of not offending anyone that sometimes like it's a you don't have to agree with every single aspect of someone's life to appreciate their art or their artwork yeah you know yeah and um yeah the, i mean the yeah. demna the relationship with demna is like the bingo i i was just writing a little thing about this i don't know if it'll actually get published but was working <laughs> with my editor on something and it's very interesting because with him there he's obviously been hugely influential on other designers and on the way like people dress day to day but the the most, the biggest successes he's had with actual clothing are those jeans from Vetmont, which was like a kind of a political act in itself because it was all vintage Levi's and there's just like a, a lot 
you could there's a lot to unpack there as people would say um and then the dad sneaker which similarly there is like a lot of texture oh the triple s yeah or whatever yeah. but when you think about it like it's not i can can he do that again at this point i don't know yeah i mean i i, I hope for the best for everyone but i also think like no one has to be eternal uh, and agreed. you know it's it's the importance of of ushering in a new community and mentorship i think is really great and you can do that while still being a tastemaker. Yeah. You know. Yes. And I yeah. I think one really interesting thing is that um the an executive a really really smart good executive told me once that she really believes that most creative people have like good a good 10 years of intense creativity where they mm-hmm. and I guess the the question is like what do you do with that creativity? Are you Karl Lagerfeld who figures out how to sort of like manufacture your creativity and never and and can go on forever. I mean, he was an anomaly for sure, but I think a lot of them have tried to emulate that. Or are you um, like a Virgil who made iconic designs and like had uh, iconic ideas that could be, will be rehashed and reused over the years? Or, or Ralph Lauren is probably closer to like a Karl Lagerfeld or is even different, but it's not like we're expecting Ralph Lauren to like have new ideas. It's just the fact that he's so good at communicating the ideas he's had for so long. Um, yeah. But I think, yeah, I think that like it is really because being a designer is not about like being in your atelier like Christian Dior, even John Galliano when he started. It's just not like that. It's not what it's not about the clothes anymore. And it it can be like the the thing that I mentioned in this post was like looking at Demna and then looking at Matt too and what he's done at Bottega and that is about the clothes. It's about mm-hmm. this new idea of clothing and what he did with that leather stuff that looks like cotton is made a different idea about like what is luxury or what have you. And in some ways I don't think he's like going backwards but it's just a little less, um, it's a little bit, it's it's like a very specific part of culture where Demna like comments on culture as a whole and society and it is important but but yeah i think that like it's gotten much harder harder to keep keep moving if you're at one of those people. I got sort of off track, but no, no, no. I mean, I, I I'm I'm following you. I mean, we we were basically just kind of discussing the the the, the depth of relationships that yeah. people want to have with designers, and I think yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of a mixed bag, and in some ways, I really mourn um you know the the older era, but I also sometimes will get frustrated with you know like I love Ralph Lauren. I want to be very clear. There's yeah. lots of Ralph folks that listen to the pod, big fan of him. But a part of me is like, you know what? Like you made this world and you're not going to last forever. And when the whole world is more, when your brand is more or less dependent on you, which you don't have eternal life, what's going to happen when you're gone, which I'm sure is not really up to me. And there's a board that makes those decisions. But like the problem, the problem is he owns most, he still owns most of it. (laughs) So nothing's well, going to happen till he's gone. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's the thing where a part of me is like, you're still, you're still influential. You're still valuable. How can you empower these other people that are there? Because if you work at Ralph Lauren, in most cases, it's just like a, a master's program yeah. or a PhD program for you to go do your own brand. Yeah. And 
I would love to see someone else come back to that with all the resources of that brand. Yeah. <laughs> so. I mean, that's a great one of who will take over because it could go sure. so, and everyone wants it. Like the the people you think would want it, but also the people you would be surprised that that would be a dream for them. But the yeah. one thing I will say about them and and him, I, I did a piece last, I don't know, last October. They did a show, like so many brands, they did a show in LA. I don't remember. It's really hard for me to keep keep track of time here because the weather doesn't change. So I'm always yeah, like and COVID and kids. Yes, and all that exactly. Stuff. You're fine. I don't yeah. remember when I did it. <laughs> when did they? Oh, is it, it was in October. It was in October. Um, But they and it was sort of looking at they have the guy who's the CEO is a brand manager from like PNG or something. So he really understands how to manage a brand. He's not going to be super innovative, but he understands how to like not shit up a brand. Um, and the thing that they've done that is, I think they've done a really good job with the restaurant and all that. And like mm -hmm. not kind of polishing it up. Like you're seeing kids, obviously there's been this, this whole surge of prep preppy fashion and I know preppy David Mark sent me an email once like that was like 500 words about how preppy is not a trend <laughs> so I was like this is probably three years ago I was like I kind of want to do a story on how preppy is like trending and he was like it is not a trend blah 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 blah. and I get what he means but I actually think that it is a tr it can be a trend because there are people who are not like embedded in preppy lifestyle who will dip into it because it feels like right for the moment but that's a that's probably another podcast but um anyway <laughs> I think that like they people will buy polos now. There's it feels it felt like really crappy for a while and it's gotten back to feeling good. And their shows they did one the show that they did at Central Park was styled like so well and it was super fun and it just felt good. And this lap the 40 year one. Yeah. Or the 50 year. Yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah. I, I yeah. Um I and that felt great. I thought the show they did in LA was like they no, like it was like costumey again, but the thing I will say is I think it's fine. I think that they can hold out. And when he retires yeah. or whatever happens, um, it's in such good shape compared to Calvin Klein or, or I mean, Tommy Hilfiger is different. But if you think of like Donna, Karen, Calvin and, and Ralph, like Calvin is still a good brand and they can do stuff with it, but they, it's not as an, an emotional of a brand. And Ralph Lauren still like for young kids, they still have have a lot of connection with it. Mm -hmm. I also wish like they have, you know, this, they have such talented people who work there. They could do some really cool stuff. And I do wish they would push more. But at the same time, when you're thinking just like from a preservation perspective, like they've done a good job yeah. at preserving it, especially as a brand that like, and, the, and they'll say, and they have done a lot of it is they've pushed out of off price and tried to move more to full price and less discounting, but it's still sold at Marshall's and TJ Maxx and stuff. The fact that like it still feels like a good brand and being so ubiquitous in those places is a testament to to what he's That's done. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when when there is a change, it's gonna be. I think the other brand like that that I am really excited about seeing the next phase of it is Armani, and because it's a kind of a similar situation. Yeah. Um, I think he was he was in his forties when he started that brand, but that brand feels so relevant right now and the runway shows like it's the same thing every year but it just feels so and he seems to be a little more like very aware that 
his time is ending. And so I don't know what they're thinking. I I know they have some like crazy trust for succession planning or whatever, but that just feels like in some ways it's not in not as good of a place from from like a what they sell perspective, I think. Cause it is I I don't know, like Armani Exchange versus Polo. I think Polo feels way more relevant than that. But that's a brand that like those are two brands that I can't wait to see what people do with them because it's not like some brand that people don't really have a relationship with. These are brands that people know and know what they stand for. And thinking about like Armani Blue and like everything you could do with that, not the fragrance. I think that he has a fragrance called that, but just the color, like what you could do with that right now. They both feel like they will be good next generation brands if the right creative people are put in place when there is a changeover. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting too, because both of those brands you mentioned run their their house, for lack of a better term, like uh, like like Swiss watch brands, mm. like both of them operate very similarly, like the way Rolex does. Yeah. So, you know, at something that's happening right now is like uh, Rolex has announced all their new watches and everything. And it's it's interesting because there's with Swiss watches, you you don't you just micro evolve tiny bits. And, and, you know, you look at growth plans over 10 years and 20 years versus one. Yeah. And um, Armani and Ralph and all those companies like they also don't necessarily lean on their product as much as they lean on their marketing yeah. to do it, which I'm fine with. I mean, the product is is good enough. Yeah. But even, you know, folks, you know, who is just still so selective over who wears what for the brand. Um, I mean, it's still very similar the way that Rolex does. And you just dump tons and tons of money into advertising to just let people know that you're the best. Yeah. And this is why Armani's the best. This is why Ralph's the best. It's just, yeah, I mean, I feel like those brands can last forever, but we're also in this world where people want to have a deeper relationship with the creator over a product. And so that's like the crossroads that I'm always kind of like, pondering um yeah yeah it's interesting because you're right and they feel like they know it's it's like the virgil texting thing i mean who Mm -hmm. how many people have texts from virgil it's just not it's not his like 20 close circle of friends you know so right yeah it it is it's true and and it's also because they live in the world and it's not it used to be more attractive for one of these people to seem like they come from a rarefied world because you wanted to be aspirational whereas everyone feels like they can achieve that now because of the internet and internet fame and all of that stuff. So it's a different, you're right. It's, it's interesting. And it does matter that the product live up to the advertising now. It doesn't mean that the product has to be like great quality, but it has to live up to it in the way, in a way that maybe it didn't used to for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which leads me to the last thing that I wanted to discuss where you yourself have become a bit of a brand unknowingly <laughs> with your writing. And I mean, obviously you launched a Substack during the pandemic. Uh, I actually was, I didn't. It was, in the, was it not? No, I've okay. had that newsletter. It's a tiny letter. Um, oh, it's, oh, wow. Okay. I've had it since like 2014 when I was a freelancer. It was like a way for me to basically market my freelance work and be like, this is what I wrote. Oh, so you, well, you kicked it back up then. Yeah. Well, I think because during the pandemic, I was on mat leave. And so I like didn't have a place to write. And so yeah. I started writing more from it. I basically do it every six months or so. But. but you, what you've shared on there, which I thought was great, was just parts of your life, but also recommendations for other things. And it got me 
me really excited for your writing, obviously outside of the deep perspective of fashion and more of just how you live. Thank you. And I think that's been, yeah, it's, and it's, it's been great and really exciting, but I r- recognize that that is a desire, like we were talking about with fashion, that I feel is being replicated from anyone that someone wants to connect with. Yeah. I mean, I have it on my own and I'm a nobody a in which people want to know like, no, I'm serious, but like people want to know, you know, um, the, the music that I'm listening to or, or whatever yeah. versus a perspective on someone. Yeah. I mean, I think very, from really early on, I I hate like personal branding thing, but I realized, okay, I need to make money. I don't want to go into PR. I would not <laughs> be good at it. I can't make a deck. Like that's the main thing. But also I just wouldn't be good Dex, at it. Yeah. I think PR is very hard. Um, and But there are more jobs in PR than there are in fashion writing. But I was like, how am I going to keep doing this? And I was just really lucky I got this job at Forbes.com in 2000. I almost aged myself by 10 years too. 2005. And I didn't know anything. Like I didn't know how the stock market works. Like I I still am like, how do people participate in the scam daily? But, um, (laughs) but I realized really quickly, oh, there aren't that many people writing about the business side of the industry. If I can like at least get pretty proficient on that, that's a good skill to have because I can be a business reporter, I can be a lifestyle reporter. And as a freelancer, it was great. Like I was able to, I remember Marie Claire asked me to do something on like all these fashion and beauty startups coming out of Harvard Business School. But then also Fast Company would be like, you know about Glossier, can you write a profile of Emily Weiss? Like that kind of thing. It was good. I just realized very quickly that like you do have to I don't like being self-promotional like when my puck news came out obviously I had to be like I'm joining puck and I have to be I have to promote it like the point of this is that I promote it and we get people to read it but there were a lot of people who like screenshotted things I wrote in in my intro letter and added me on Instagram and like a lot of people would regram those and I didn't because I was like the people on my Instagram have seen it. If they want to read it, they've seen it. I'm not going to like shove it in their face. But sure. But, okay. So it's like this balance of like, what, how much do I push myself and how much do I like let the work speak for itself? Mm. And, but very early on, I was like, I got to like market myself as a specific thing so that I can get hired. And I, it, it definitely has paid off. Like I got this job at Puck, which was, which I really wanted and it happened for me. So, um, but it's like a, it is an interesting balance of the, the, the stuff that I write in that personal newsletter. I, I always just think of it as like, no one sees it. And I will get oh, feedback yeah. on it, but sometimes like I don't have a sense of being like super well known or anything like that. Like I know that I have a lot of people know who I am, but the Sherm heads or whatever you want to yeah, call them. I'm sure there's like four of them. But I know people know who I am and I know people, one of the reasons I wanted to do Puck was I knew that there would be a following and like there would be people in the industry really into it and then people outside of the industry. And I do want Mm -hmm. people to, it's not even take fashion seriously, but like engage with fashion and what's going on in the same way we all know who like Bob Iger is. Or Tim Cook, but like, who knows who Bernard Arnault is? Like, not as many people, even though he's the richest man in the world. So I do want, I I do feel like part of my job is to like get people to engage with it more, but it is so, and so I understand that self-promotion is part of it. And I'm a writer, like anyone who's a writer has an ego and all that stuff, but there is a, yeah, it's a strange thing of like, you really can never have a sense of how big your impact is because it's just so subjective and 
and everybody has a different way of doing it. But with with the personal stuff, I don't know. There's just stuff that like I want to work out and get through. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's like easier to write it. And I'm lucky my husband is a writer, but he, not that he gives me any feedback. He just fixes as many typos as he can. <laughs> but <laughs> at least he'll be like, if something's really weird, he'd be like, I don't know. Like he and I used to do a podcast together and we like, we'll, we'll do it once or twice a year. And we recorded an episode at the beginning of my book leave about plastic surgery and we did not oh publish it because I was like I was gonna say I was like I haven't heard this yeah it was just too um it was too personal about like both of our feelings about it and then also talking about our friends who have had it and we didn't mention any names but like people would have known and we were like let's not publish this some it's uh, too much okay that makes yeah the people yeah the the degree connection yeah. or the but yeah. I don't yeah I feel like I don't know if I would have the skill to like be one of those like a Gia Tolentino who basically writes about herself but it and says what it says about greater culture I don't think I could do that like I rely too much on reporting but I do I like the idea that there's a place that I can just like get some information like work out some stuff and it maybe will resonate with a few people I don't know are you going to be able to do like long form writing on Puck because I mean as someone who reads Puck quite a bit it's great but it's also very it's it's extremely conscious of your time into which I get a lot of information in a very short amount yeah, of time. Yeah, I feel like the thing I really need help with and I, what I want to do better is get to the point more quickly. So in a way, like I, what I've noticed is it's like that one bit of reporting that the story is what's important is what they do. And they do do longer mm-hmm. form. So I think it depends on on which writer. But yeah, I think if like it warrants it, they've done series on on different stories and and it'll be possible. The thing I like about it is that it's really opinion, but opinion backed by original reporting that you can't get anywhere else. Oh, so yeah. we'll see the someone asked me if I'm going to keep doing the personal newsletter. And I think I probably won't do it for six months because I'll be so, my head will be so deep in figuring out like what the right cadence is for the puck stuff and like what people want and what I, what I want. Um, But I think that I'll eventually like something will pop up that feels not right for puck, but that I feel like I want to say that's, that's a little more personal, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the thing that the reason I liked Puck so much and got, became completely obsessed with it, forwarding it to anyone I know being like, this is so good is the fact that it's very like inside baseball reporting, but written yeah. in and edited in like a super sophisticated way that feels just like the editors there, even the the first little notes that I've written, it's just been so, it's been really nice to like have people who know exactly what you mean and can like make it sound better. <laughs> it's hard that <laughs> there were in an editing crisis in this country. There's like no good editors and it, because no point, one yeah. wants to be an editor. Everyone wants to be a writer. I understand. I've done editing for like two months at a time every 10 years or so I've been like I need I need to get out it's so hard um <laughs> but that's what I think that they are really good at is like conveying those more sensitive and nuanced points in like a really sophisticated entertaining way and it can it can just be like these minute 
things that are happening at CNN or whatever someone's covering. But the way that they present it is just, I think it does like harken back to like old school magazine writing, but it's also feels modern in the fact that it's not, um, it's not 5,000 words long or whatever. But, but that is going to be hard. Like I'm used to couching everything in a lot of stuff because you need like a lot of content. And so getting straighter to the point will be, I think it, it is something that I just like really desired and I was just ready for to do more of I think like BOF does such a good job and they've totally I hate this word but they really have disrupted the model for trade publications and I I think it Mm -hmm. could be applied a lot one of the reasons I wanted to work there was because I think it could be applied across a lot of different industries like even if you look at the Hollywood trades I mean they're just not they still just like report the news and there's no information there's no like bof what imran really pushes is like not only like how do i do it what does it mean but like what is it what does it mean but like what do i do about it and i think they've done a really good job at that but i and in the same way like i think puck is taking this idea when i worked at forbes I don't know, like 15 years ago or however long ago, they were always like, no inside baseball, no inside baseball, no inside baseball. And I was like, but this is an interesting thing. And the internet changed that. Like all anyone wants now is inside baseball. And I I really feel like yeah. Puck gets how to make, it's like the next phase of that, like really insidery stuff, how to make that sophisticated. And also the model that they're using, which is like, let's not hire five people to cover this. Let's hire one. And the person really knows what they're talking about and like gets an audience and then build it out and and deliver it in a way that is easier. I hate digestible the word digestible also. These are all such like startup-y words. They're very annoying. <laughs> but um it, it's easier. It's not like Axios is digestible, but it's like you get the pleasure of reading a magazine through Puck, but also the kind of information that modern readers want. And that that's yeah. what was exciting to me. Like I would not go work somewhere that I thought didn't have like a lot of promise from a business perspective. It's just why why would I bother working at some like place that's going downhill when I could be a freelancer and make the same amount of money? Like it just doesn't make sense. Um, but there was just something about what they're doing that it just feels like this is this is like a model that could work long term and also will be really fun. And and I do think that's like a big thing. I don't think a lot of journalism jobs are super fun anymore. And so why would you want to be in journalism? <laughs> and this one just seemed, well, I mean, there's a million dollar yeah. question. <laughs> I mean, it's just like you not only do you not make a lot of money, but you also and and the thing, the way they're doing it is like they w- want people to be compensated properly and they also want to make a lot of money generally. And so yeah. I think like and I'm not going to say I'm pro cap. I guess I'm pro capitalism, but but I just think like this is the culture we live in and I if you can if you can do it in a good way and make things better for everybody and like serve it as an example, then then it's worth pursuing and I just like like I said I just totally fell in love with it. I was completely obsessed with it and I I, I swear this job got like manifested for me. So, um but I felt That's the same way amazing. about BOF when I started there. I've been really lucky like yeah. and one of the reasons is because I have kind of stayed out of the traditional system. Like I got that job at Forbes. I did not want to work there. 
there. I was like, well, I don't want to deal with this crap. I'm going to go work in Nylon or Teen Vogue. <laughs> I remember I interviewed while I was a reporter at Forbes to be to be a um, like fashion assistant in the Nylon closet. Oh. And Aya Kanai, okay. who is now the head of fashion at Google, was the fashion editor. And I just remember I was just like, I got I got to get out of Forbes. I got to get out because I had only been there for like six months. I was like, I don't want to be a business writer or whatever. And then I went there and I was like, mm, I can't be an assistant in the fashion closet. I'm doing like real stuff. And then it ended up just being the best thing that ever happened to me. But um, but I am, I think, in a way lucky, like I didn't come up in that traditional system because I just have like different, I don't know if it's standards, but just different ideas of, of what a good job is and all of that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a very diplomatic way of putting yeah. it in terms of uh, getting paid a living wage yeah. and things like yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like I needed health insurance. A lot of those magazines... Don't didn't give help. those indie magazines. They don't have help. Maybe maybe they do now, but they didn't in two thousand five, two thousand six. Yeah, I mean, I know a handful of condo employees who apply for housing lotteries because they don't make enough to uh, pay for their you know. Apartment. You know that con uh, condo used to. Um, <laughs> They would give like a cash advance if you wanted a down payment on a house. I'm sure they also like paid people. They probably paid for people's houses too, like more higher up. But I knew people there when I worked there in 2011 who got like help with their down payment on their house. I mean... Yeah, it's it's very interesting how that kind of stuff used to happen and doesn't as much anymore. And I think working at a startup for a lot of people now is the like equivalent to like having betting that you might get a pension. So you're like, I worked at a startup yeah. that has equity. There's one in a million chance it's going to sell. But if it sells, then I'm going to be able to like renovate my kitchen or whatever. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's very interesting. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for all your time. It was great to finally have you on. I'm a huge fan thank of you. you. Congrats on Pucks and congrats on your thank family. Thank you so much. Well, it was so good to finally do this. Thank you for having me. Oh, it was, it was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was great to meet you. Yeah, of course. It was so good to meet you. And let me know if you come to LA and get a coffee or something. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay, bye. Bye. You've been listening to Blamo. If you like what you heard... You know the drill. Share the pod with a friend. Tell somebody about it. I don't know. Send them a text, an email. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Do all the deals. Follow us on Instagram for all the hot content at Blamo Podcast. Podcast? I don't even know how to say it. You can follow us at Blamo Podcast. <laughs> but if you want to talk to us and give us your hot take, we'd love to hear from you. You can send us an email at info at blamopod.com. Last but not least, if you want to hang out with us and join the Blam Fam, you can visit patreon.com forward slash Blamo where we have all of our exclusive episodes, exclusive shows from Blamo Presents Derek Guy to the Triple J Show, and last but not least, the incredible, the amazing Slack community. It's just a bunch of us talking about clothes and having fun. It's great. All right, check it out. That's it for me, folks. I'll see you all soon. <laughs>